Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning. It's fun to be up here speaking to all of you again. And this month, Reverend Larry is using this funny little book. And it's called Your Invisible Power. This book was published in 1940. And this was a time in, in the United States when people were still recovering from the Great Depression. And the bouts of war were on the horizon in Europe. And this book was, I think, I mean, I don't know this for sure. I didn't know Ernest Holmes. But I think this book was a a book to remind people that they were not alone and that they were not powerless, that that power to change and evolve and grow and deepen the safety of the infinite was present within them during that period of time and that whatever they needed, the answers were within them. And I think that that, that this was sort of like a little pick-me-up to remind people of that time that the journey that they were on was not one that they were doing alone. And I made all that up, but I, I like the story. So, and it just feels that way because he did write books for certain times in our history that um, encouraged people for whatever they were going through at the time. And being a metaphysician, he wanted people to really absolutely know that they were not alone, that they were not doing their lives alone. So anyway, this is the, the book for the month of August. And the first chapter of this book, which is the title of today's talk, is Your God, Your Silent Partner. So remember that Ernest Holmes was writing from his his early history of Christianity because at the time that he was writing all of his books, starting in the 20s, he was steeped in Christianity and so was our culture. Um, So he uses the word he a lot when he's referencing God. He uses divine father and all of those language things. But it's a quite different world right now, three quarters of a century later, especially in light of how the world's faith traditions have evolved and our understanding of those traditions. So before touching upon the metaphysical aspect of this little book, I think it's imperative that we explore language, specific words. My observation from teaching Science of Mind for many years is that many people have huge stumbling blocks around certain words. And even though they say they have an open mind and even though they say they have an open heart and they may around certain things, but oftentimes their heart is really closed by these blocks to certain words. And the number one word, can you guess? God, (laughs) a word we use all the time. They also have stumbling blocks around things like religion, science, which is becoming more of a problem for many people today, Uh, prayer, religion. And the irony is that before we were Centers for Spiritual Living, our name was Church of Religious Science. All of those names that people have difficulty with and when I first came to this, uh, to the Church of Religious Science, 
I came kicking, kicking and screaming. I had a roommate who went to the Church of Religious Science in Santa Rosa, and she would come home and tell me how wonderful it was, and I'd say, oh, that's nice, I'm glad, I'm happy for you. And uh, she'd say, oh, you've got to come with me, and I'd say, no, 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 I don't do church. I know, this is hard to believe now, but anyway. And um, so I finally decided that if I went, would she stop bugging me? Because then I could say, well, I went, and it's, I proved to you, it's just not for me. So I went to this Church of Religious Science, and at that time it was in a performing arts center, and there were like a, a house of 1,500 people. And I wanted to sit in the back next to the door so I could really slip out when it got too difficult for me. But she wanted to sit in the third row. Oh, my God. So um, out walks a female minister. I'd never seen a female minister before. God was male, didn't you know? So here comes this woman minister, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm in for it now. So um, she starts talking, and I instantly start crying. Everything that she was saying, I believed. But I didn't think anybody else did. I was an alien from another planet and dropped down in somewhere. And uh, I believed everything that she was saying, and I didn't know anybody else did. And here was this whole room full of people, lots of people, who believed what she was saying nodding and, you know, responding. And the other thing that I thought was amazing in this place was that they laughed and they clapped. It was like, oh my God. And so I had to get over all of those things and went out and bought the, the Science Mind textbook. And three weeks later, I made an appointment with her to find out how she did what she did because I wanted to do that. So if you're staying here a little longer, there are all kinds of things that might happen to you that you have no idea are going to. And I wanted to say an especial welcome to Gary because Gary was in that center um, growing up basically in the Center for Spiritual Living, Church of Religious Science, in Santa Rosa at that time. So it's really fun to have him here today too. It's kind of like old home week. So anyway, going back to these words, what is the image that comes to your mind when you hear or read the word God? What is the emotional response that you have to this word? Is it positive and loving? Or is it fearful and judgmental? What is your personal definition of the divine creator? Or do you even have a definition? I think it's important that we come to some level of understanding of what this word means because every single one of us, every single one of us has our own idea or definition of the word God, what that means to us. And I think like a lot of other things, we think when we use the word, everybody else has the same definition. But that's not true. We all have our own individual idea of what that word means, and a lot of other words as well. But rarely do we ever say, you know, well, Nancy, what's your definition of the word God? What does it mean to you? We rarely have those conversations. And remember, just language alone, exploring different words and their meanings so that we can be on the same page when we're communicating with one another. And for me... Uh, I, I share this story because I should have learned this lesson a long time ago. When I was in high school, um, a young guy that I thought was pretty terrific asked me to go play tennis. 
you know, a very nice thing to do. And I immediately thought of the Irvington Tennis Club. It was not too far from where I grew up. So I went out and bought a brand new tennis skirt and bought new tennis shoes. I mean, I was all decked out to go to the Irvington Tennis Club. My family would be proud. So he picks me up and we go to Irvington Park and hit tennis balls against the backboard. That was his idea of tennis. It wasn't my idea of tennis. But we never discussed tennis, you know, but we just, we both assumed that that's what was going to happen. So in, in the language of the, of the word God, for instance, in the world's faith traditions, there are many names for the one. In Islam, there are 99 names or attributes of Allah in the Quran, 99. In Hinduism, the granddaddy of them all, there are 330 million names of gods and goddesses. So if you're wanting to know where you might want to find a word, Hinduism's your place to go. (laughs) Taoism, for instance, has no name. The name cannot be named. The nameless is the way of heaven and earth. And those are other two questions. You might want to find out from what does heaven mean? When we use that word, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to your friends? In Science of Mind, we have many words, and the very first chapter of the first book that Ernest Holmes wrote, The Science of Mind, the very first chapter is called The Thing Itself. But as I went through that chapter, I wrote down some of the names that we use in Science of Mind, and I want to read some of them to you. Of course, God, Spirit, Infinite mind, creative order, the universe, the thing itself, perfect presence, divine law, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, harmony, love, intelligence, first cause, mind, invisible essence, formless, limitless, changeless, wholeness, life itself, Divine One, Inner Voice, and you get the idea. I could have kept going, but that's plenty for us to even just start. So if there's difficulty with the word God and your expression of it and definition of it is not supportive of you or isn't opening your heart to a greater experience of life, then I invite you to create your own understanding. Change it. If the definition that you have is not working for you, get a new definition and create one of your own. My changing, my definition happened in recovery, as it does for many of us, where I was given permission to create a new idea of God. And that was terrifying. Terrifying because my old God, that I didn't have such a great relationship with, uh, my old God was frightening, schizophrenic, I think, to love me one minute and punish me the next. And I never knew which way I was going at any given moment. Was this okay? Was this not okay? Hence the hesitancy to be even remotely who I was, because I didn't really know which was going to be applauded and which was going to send me to hell, whatever that was, wherever it was. And so it was very difficult. I took... um, took a lot of references and changed he to she. I changed God to goddess. I, that, the, all of those things were weird. And then it became it. 
You know, when I got into science of mind, it was like, well, it was an it. It was an intelligence. It was a law. It was something. But that wasn't very warm and fuzzy. And I wanted my God to be warm and fuzzy and loving. So it took several years for me to create the meaning that I have now. And now it's a multiple of names. I use many different names for this one. And I use God now because it has a completely different meaning for me. But I want to, to be clear when I'm using that of what I mean. And it may not be yours. So finding the correct answer for you, even if it looks different than someone else, or even if it looks different from the way you were raised, is the only way that you're going to feel comfortable with identifying with this something that lives in you. Because we don't want something inside of us that we have a fear about or are uncomfortable with. Am I making sense to you? So when we stay open, when we're available, as Marcy said in the prayer today, when we're curious, when we're willing, spirit reveals itself through our expanded consciousness of what it is. Most of the world's spiritual traditions began in the same way. One person having a direct experience of the infinite, of the unity and connection of all life, perhaps under a tree like the Buddha, perhaps in a cave, <clears throat> maybe in the desert or on the sea. And then other people, having heard about this amazing experience, wanted to have the same thing and began to emulate the person that had the original experience. Maybe they went to the same tailor and had their clothes made the same. Maybe they inquired about the foods they ate or what they drank. Maybe they made some kind of shrine on the spot where the experience took place. Maybe they bought all the tapes and CDs and listened to their iPod every day when they ran, all hoping that the same experience would be theirs too. But of course, it never can. My experience can only be my experience. It can never be yours. Never. Secondhand anything doesn't ever work. As an aside, a friend of mine who goes to, to Bali uh, very often, <clears throat> fairly frequently, went recently and saw a sign on the street by a street vendor that said, antiques made to order. <laughs> I thought, well, how clever. You know, he was somebody who was making things out of wood and he would distress them and, you know, and there's your antique made to order. But we can't ever, ever, ever copy someone else or make something ancient when it isn't ancient. So we can, there might be a thread of satisfaction in doing the practices of sages and saints and avatars, but it will never be ours. Spirituality cannot be borrowed. It can only be lived. If we're available. We cannot experience our personal and direct connection with the divine while we're still focused on external events. Is that making sense to you? Ernest Holmes said, everything responds to you at your level of recognition of it your recognition of it. Everything responds to you at your level of recognition of it. So repeat after me. I'm a place where the divine shows up. I'm a place where the divine shows up. 
I am willing to be Spirit's vehicle. Okay, one more. I am a place where divine shows up. All right. I am willing to be Spirit's vehicle. All right. You all have witnesses to that now. So, okay, back to the silent partner. This thing itself is always in us, as Marcy again said in the prayer, supporting us in everything we undertake, for we are its own. It is always, always singing its song of love to us if we but listen. No competition in spirit. Remember, there truly is no other. We have an entire lifetime, which is a blank canvas, upon which we can create our very own experience of the presence. If we set a clear intention to practice being a channel, So how open is your mind and heart to this spiritual expression that lives in you? Do you have a daily spiritual practice? I know this is something I just bring up all the time, and I'm sure those of you are really tired of me saying it. (laughs) But is your practice uplifting you? Is it a vehicle to shift your own consciousness into an expanded view of life and an expanded view of who you are? Are you growing every day from that practice? And if you're not, increase your practice or change it up in some way so that you are inspired, so that you are listening to that voice inside that tells you how magnificent you really are. And you can shut off all of that external noise. Practice letting go and trusting that you and this silent partner are more than enough. Become willing to be that vehicle. Another question, are you available for greater good in your life? Are you really available for greater good? I remember once years ago teaching a class on prosperity, and I asked the people who were attending the class to go sit in the Benson Hotel. Just sit in the lobby. It's a very luxurious, comforting, in, in, I don't know, just a beautiful place to be. Do you know how many people took me up on it? Nobody. Not one person. I invited people in the same class to go to a restaurant they, quote, thought they couldn't afford. Not one person did. So if you say you're willing with the words and your actions do not follow those words, then you're not willing. It's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. So I'm inviting you today to begin to change your mind, like Nancy said in the very beginning. If you want to truly change your life, you have to begin to change your mind. And we teach ways to do that. It's an amazing journey if you've ever begun. And if you've been here for a long time, the question to answer is, how am I I serve? What kind of a, a, a science of mind person am I? Am I demonstrating the principles that we teach? Am I being kind? Am I inviting newcomers to go to lunch or to go to coffee? Or am I welcoming people? Am I being the vehicle through which spirit flows? And if not, you might want to take another class to remind yourself of what you say you believe. I know people who've taken foundations class four, five, six times because they just keep forgetting. You know, we have a really good forgetter, don't we? I do anyway. 
So trust that that silent partner that you have is more than enough. There is a, a minister from Santa Cruz who I just love. Her name is Reverend Deborah Johnson. And I've told this story before. Some of you might remember it. But it's a fun story, I think. She used to love going to visit her grandmother. And her grandmother, on her coffee table, had this funny little box. And it was about this big. And on the outside of it, it looked like an old-fashioned trunk that traveled the world. It had stickers on it from all parts of the, of the world. And on the cor- in the corner of this little tiny box was an eye. And when you turned the box on, it shook. <laughs> and out of this box came, Hello? Hello? Would you let me out of here, please? Hello? Hello? Please open up and let me out of here. That's what spirit's doing. That's what spirit's doing with us. Hello? Hello? Knock, knock, knock. Let me out of here. So when you ignore that voice within, when you ignore that knock, 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 because that knock, knock, knock shows up in all kinds of ways. Not always ways that we think we would like to have. Sometimes it's uh, what a proverbial two-by-four that hits us on the head, and then we want to analyze it and try to figure out why that two-by-four just hit us. I have a friend, who, a friend whose ceiling just fell in, and then to the place where she was staying as an alternative, the ceiling fell in there. She really wants to know what's going on in her life. So we practice, we do our spiritual practice to develop and grow our own consciousness and the way that we use the power flowing through us. One with God is enough. It's a majority, really, since it's the only thing that exists. We cannot go back to our old story that doesn't serve us anymore. The whole idea that, quote, we're only human What is that? No, 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 no. We are spirit. That is all we are. That spirit is contained in this physical thing, this, as somebody called it, a spacesuit. But that's really the only thing that exists is spirit. So we can't use that I'm only human excuse anymore. Once we know that, we can't use it anymore. We have to let go of all those old stories. They just don't serve us. We have to let go of our our old ideas about God, about church, about spirituality, about everything, and have conversations with one another about what those words really mean. Practice is a way to actually become that which we are. Even out of no way, a way will be made. So welcome everything into your life, everything. Our future only exists in language. And classes are designed to keep us in the conversation. For good will make a way out of the best. So again, we're so cerebral in the way we think. When our heart is aching, we'll try to think our way into some solution. Is that not true? When our heart is longing to love, when our hearts ache in grief, or when we're purging a loss, we're still analyzing. We're still trying to figure it out with our human mind, instead of turning it all over to this silent partner, this presence that lives within us and allows us to heal. I want to share a poem by 
<clears throat> by Rumi, the famous Sufi poet. If you knew yourself for even one moment, if you could just glimpse your most beautiful face, maybe you wouldn't slumber so deeply in that house of clay. Why not move into your house of joy and shine into every crevice? For you are the secret treasure bearer and always have been. Don't you know? So life is about living. It's about expressing. It's about creating. And it's about celebrating our higher life. It's happening in your life right now. Right this very moment, spirit is flowing through you. So put up the open for business sign. You cannot fail. Your future is already successful. No matter what, no matter which direction you go, you are always filled up with that presence of love. And it truly is always singing a song of love to us. Just like the song that Gary wrote and sang today. Touch my heart. Having that love affair with spirit touches you at the deepest, deepest level. So if that's an intention of yours, I invite you to close your eyes as I read a writing by Howard Thurman, one of our modern-day mystics. And this is called The Moments of My High Resolve. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Despite the dullness and barrenness of the days that pass, if I search with due diligence, I can always find a deposit left by some former radiance. But I had forgotten. At the time, it was full-orbed, glorious and resplendent. I was sure that I would never forget. In the moment of its fullness, I was sure that it would illumine my path for all the rest of my journey. I had forgotten how easy it is to forget. There was no intent to betray what seemed so sure at the time. My response was whole, clean, authentic. But little by little, there crept into my life the dust and grit of the journey. Details, lower-level demands, Facebook, emails, all kinds of cross-currents. Nothing momentous, nothing overwhelming, nothing flagrant, just wear and tear. If there had been some direct challenge, a a clear-cut issue, I would have fought it to the end and beyond. In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of God, my heart whispers, Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve that in fair weather or in foul, in good times or in tempests, in the days when the darkness and the foe are nameless or familiar, I may not forget that to which my life is committed. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Let us pray. So breathing into this space, breathing into this time, allowing that song of spirit to be heard in the very innermost regions of my being, I allow that knowing, that inner knowing, that this silent partner is not silent. I listen to it every moment that I am awake and every moment that I am asleep. It is that divine power that surges through every part of my physical human form, guiding me, directing me, leading me into greater and greater expressions of that which it is. 
And so I am knowing in this moment that this truth is the truth for each person here today. That that divine love is guiding and directing every heart with that ability to open up and be present to the greater and greater good that wants to express through each one of us. So I give thanks for knowing that the truth of life is glorious, glorious in its view and present in every heart right here today in this moment now. And so in gratitude for this remembrance, I simply just let it be, and so it is. Um, Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.